0: Hey there! Welcome to ATL and Twenty Nine, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with uh, Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops, and I guess the first question is: Glenn, uh, should the Hawks fire Lloyd Pierce after they made twenty-three threes tonight?
1: He coached a heck of a game tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever what, he tells them to make shots, it's they're always better than when he tells them to miss shots. It's just. Uh,
0: weird how that works all right well there you have it uh i don't know really know where to start here uh i guess maybe some takeaways from from the win we've got a a couple of games to digest from the loss to cleveland and the win over the celtics uh so other than maybe thanking luca for breaking the celtics collective spirit last night where do we begin with this one
1: well, I mean, Gallo was the obvious fun storyline. Um, I mean, there's, for me, them not giving up so many easy points to the Celtics big was the big adjustment that they made, I felt like, from, what was it, Friday's game? Mm-hmm. Um, where I, I think, I wrote about it, so I should know, but I think Williams, uh, Tristan Thompson, and Daniel um, uh, Teese, were like 17 for 21 combined, so that 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 that, they couldn't repeat that. So you know, Gallo made all of his shots, and then on defense they were able to basically keep the Celtics bigs off the rim, and that was uh, a nice formula for a nice win.
0: Yeah, I think I saw like a daily fantasy player like cursing out Clint Capella uh, online, disappointed in the (laughs) statistical output. And it's like, well, yeah, but he had a really nice game.
1: He did he was a he was a monster. I mean, you know, I I, this was the first time he didn't get a double double. I think in a long time, I think Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was 1.1 rebound shy going from memory here. I think is is the way it worked, but uh He still had a huge impact on the game and uh, You know what he's able to do is what for me um, allowed them to make that adjustment, you know, pretty seamlessly uh, Just because of how much ground he can cover and the presence he has has at the rim So he, he I thought he was awesome If you're into Clint Capella because of his stats, then I think you're kind of a weird NBA viewer, (laughs) maybe a little bit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he altered just a ton of shots in the first half without really getting... I think he got more blocks late than he did early, but he was clearly just changing a lot of shots in the first half.
1: Yeah, and then with no Kimba, you know, on, on Friday, Kimba was... Able to pull the coverage up higher on the floor. I mean, he just does that because how much pressure he puts on the defense in the pick and roll. As good as Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have been this year, both All Stars, um, they've been awesome, but they still can't quite impact and stress a defense in that specific way that Kimba can. Um, You know, give a few more years. Kimba's been around the league for a long time, and he's an actual point guard, so you know you kind of understand that. But um, you know, the Hawks had to really bring the big like up past the free throw line um, because of what Kimba was able to do on Friday and tonight, um, you know, the Celtics didn't really have anything to threaten that. And they were, they were able to uh, basically kind of leave the big, you know, step below the free throw line and then pull in from the weak side and not worry about any sort of really sophisticated passes, skip passes and things like that. So part of it was like the Celtics didn't have their real, um, their most dynamic, you know creator um in terms of uh you know running the whole offense you know like kimba can i know i know a lot of people are down on kimba this year but uh he's hurt <laughs> um yeah. and but I, th- I thought that made a, a big difference but you know credit to the hawks for making the adjustments to keep the celtics bigs off the rim pretty much the whole game I mean thompson had a few putbacks and a few rim runs but um you know but th- th- that was like here and there
0: The, you know, in 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 trying to digest these past two games, one thing that's happened by necessity is that Tony Snell has started a pair of games. And one hypothetical that I had kind of planned to throw at you is this one: Let's say the Hawks get to some sort of play-in game. Like the 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 standings are unbelievably crowded. Uh, Right now, I haven't. I mean, I'm sure some games have gone final since the last time I looked. A couple, maybe an hour ago. But when I looked like an hour ago, the six to eleven seeds in the East, and I think the Hawks were eleven, were separated by one game. So the and
1: I, and I think they're just one and a half back of the five spot right now. That's that's
0: entirely possible too. <laughs> um, and honestly, the seriously like the Hawks have won enough. The Hawks have had enough convincing wins and enough narrow defeats that if you lay out five to 11, they might have the best net rating of all those teams. Um, But last night and tonight, Tony Snell started. And so my hypothetical is this. Uh, We wave a magic wand and everybody's healthy. Bogdan Bogdanovich, Chris Dunn. And, you know, we haven't seen Hawk Chris Dunn yet, but. If the Hawks are in a playoff game, and it's winner go home, and you have everybody healthy, how many minutes does Tony Snell play?
1: Well, I mean, if he's shooting,
0: you know, sixty percent from the three
1: point line, um, you know, I, I think it's for me. I think it's tw- at least twenty.
0: Oh, I forgot. Um, you're like the Tony Snell fan club.
1: I. I, I mean, I don't know if I'd go as far as a fan club. I'm, I'm bullish <laughs> on him. But, no, I I think he's an ideal starter um, along with Trey because he's capable defensively. He's good enough at the point of attack. He's a good team defender. And in offense, he doesn't need touches, and he makes shots. You know, he can space the floor He's not going to get upset if he doesn't touch the ball for four or five possessions in a row. Right. And in terms of kind of really prioritizing getting Trey going with in the pick and roll, whether it's, you know, the, the staggered screens with both Capella and Collins, I mean, isn't he right now the best player to kind of stick in the weak side corner to make the opposing defense really think about how far they're going to pull in off of him and open up the REM dive for whether it's Capella or, or I mean, who else can, really do that the way that he can as a wing right now. I mean, obviously what Gallo did tonight, you throw him there for as long as he could handle minutes, but, you know, and and he's the guy also that, depending on game flow, you know, if Trey needs more on-ball help, you sit him. And you play Herder more, or, you know, um, if if Cam can kind of, kind of get it together and get to a point where he was at the end of last year where he was, um, you know, solid enough on ball to... Um, maybe uh, have an opportunity like that. Um, you know, so I I, I feel like he's a, a great guy to pencil in for twenty minutes because he's just so low maintenance, he's so solid on both ends of the court, he compliments Trey on both ends of the court. Um and I just think he's the guy who can kind of help your key players really get it going, you know. So um you know that's that's just how, how I you know that's how I see it. Um
0: you know Did you that's, say that's 20? that's
1: I say at least twenty, at least and 20. that's
0: with Kevin Herter and Cam Reddish and DeAndre Huntry and Bogdan Bogdanovich all around, yep. and maybe eating some minutes.
1: Yeah, I think they're all probably maybe they're all maybe sharing to a degree, but you know, yeah. Herder has some moments on defense, and he can be just really rough on defense at times. You know, okay. um, Reddish could be really rough on offense, but if you are facing you know, multiple dynamic, you know, offensive creators. Then Bogdanovich is kind of a liability, and Dunn gives you like just enough across the board, and then the kind of the low maintenance offensive profile he has works with Trey, and really does open up kind of their key action that's you know high screen and roll in a way that um, you know maybe only as a as a wing maybe only Herder does you know, but I would think Snell's a little bit of a better shooter. Than Herder is um, right now, so that's that's where I see it. It's just more of the stability and the reliability, and putting fewer variables around Trey in a critical game, and giving Trey something that he can kind of really rely on a steady um, player as part of the FISOM that, that that plays a decent amount of minutes with him. That's how I see it. Now, if mm-hmm. I'd love to, I'd love to have a different view a month from now or two months from now, whatever that is, and Herder to be a, have found a. A new level of consistency for Hunter to be back and, you know, for Redis to find his shot and, you know, tighten up his ball handling. And then all of a sudden, you know, one of the things I love about Tony Snell is if all those guys get to a point where they are demanding playing time, Snell doesn't play and he's not causing any problems. You know, that's the beauty of having Tony Snell as your ninth guy or whatever he is, is that if the young guys emerge and find that level of consistency and reliability he doesn't have to play and he's not going to cause any problems you know if those guys for whatever reason can't find that consistency and especially in a in a game that means a lot he's a great guy to go to you know so that that's just how i see it do you see it vastly different than i do
0: maybe a little bit just because i think if you're playing a do or die game and you get DeAndre Hunter back, and he's healthy. I think he's good for thirty-five or thirty-six minutes. And then you're looking at the other three wing positions and trying to figure out, or you know, the other wing position plus the the twelve or thirteen minutes that that Hunter does. And I, I'm not I'm not denying anything you said about. Uh, Snell's playing style. It just seems like the minutes get short, really tight. But yeah, I mean, I do think that he's he's an ideal fit for what they need. Yeah. Um, you know, he's 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 quite a player. Um, yeah. There I,
1: are
0: there are enough inconsistencies in some of their other wing players so that right. that you can kind of. Squint and 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 blur and, and see how it works. I think the biggest variable there is is Bogdanovich. Um, you know, you're trying to put Bogdanovich and Reddish and Herder and whoever else in that mix. Uh, I, I don't know that there's twenty in there for Snell, but uh, I, I do think that he would be a part of the rotation in a do or die game, and, and that he he should be. I was going to actually ask the question and, and frame it two ways. Like, what would you do versus what, what's Lloyd Pierce going to do? Um, but I feel like, you know, a do or die game, he he should probably play.
1: Yeah, I mean that's, that's me. And, I mean, the question about what would Lloyd Pierce do, I mean, it really does depend on what the highest objectives are at that point. I mean, is it still really important to try to be building up Cam confidence and give him a good bit of leeway with mm-hmm. his play and kind of stick with him or is it, you know, sorry, Cam, if, if we watch you play for three minutes and you're kicking the ball around and, you know, you know, making, you know, poor decisions on, you know, paint attacks and things like that, then goes, you know, goes down. So, I mean, what does Pierce do? I, I would hope that they play f- to win <laughs> as the highest uh, priority. I don't think it's going to set back any, you know, single young player, but you know, I, I don't know that Lloyd Pierce on his own decides what the priorities are, you know, even in that environment. You know, Um, are we still focused on balancing winning and, and with development or is it all about winning at that point in time? I would hope it would be the latter, but, you know, they're still trying to kind of build up a core group of players, too. So, yeah. you know, it wouldn't be crazy to, to try for them to want to take a more balanced approach, which would mean. You're probably sticking with a Redis a little bit longer and a herder and you know, such.
0: Okay. Uh, looking at the two games, Cleveland, Boston, Danilo Gallinari, uh, the man who had zero rebounds last night. And I think 38 points tonight. Uh, is there any difference there? Other than making shots like,
1: Oh, well, there's a huge difference to me. Okay. We're uh, yeah, like, well, yeah. What was different? Well, I mean, he was. I He looked like someone. I don't. I mean, I don't. I hate to put, like, words in his mouth. I, so I'm just describing the way he looked to me, just to be clear. I, I, did, I, I wasn't part of post game, or, you know, I haven't even heard post game or you know, anything yeah. like that at all. So I don't know what he said, what he might have said and stuff. But um, he looked like a guy who felt badly about what happened, you know, in the Cavaliers game. Um, I, I noticed he was sprinting back to the degree he could sprint <laughs> on defense he was communicating very firmly I, I saw one possession for example where he i think it was he was on the court with a congo at the time and he ran back to catch i think it was thompson the rim runner and but you know the they wanted a congo on thompson and he was you know yelling at a congo to come take Thompson from him so he could get out on his guy and you know Mm -hmm. when you just watch that to me it's like that's what we needed on that last possession against the Cavs we needed more you know communication with him and Solo on how they were handling that side of the floor that they were on um and just you know a little more sense of urgency and you know he's a human being I mean guilt can make us do you know work pretty hard at times feeling badly for letting down people around us if that's how he feels um from a professional standpoint, not a human standpoint, you know, but he just—he looked like he was, you know, had more attention to detail, a little bit more sense of urgency, you know. And for me, it was maybe I'm just making too much of how that one last possession looked versus the Cavs, but I definitely noticed him doing things in this Celtics game that made me feel like if that was what he was showing in the last possession against the Cavs, that the Hawks had a pretty good chance to win that game.
0: Yeah, imagine that. Just as a a professional of pride, that probably having to look at that replay was unsettling. I (laughs) hope so. Is that fair? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) As sort of the low man on the weak side, you'd kind of want one of those feet to become unbolted. And maybe lean in a little bit.
1: Yeah, and... I mean, it's a different thing if he's out on a great shooter and he just can't physically get to the rim, but he was literally standing right next to the rim I just watched um, uh, the rookie, I forget his name now. Um, (laughs) I I was calling him in my head after your joke, Evan Turner Jr., because he looked so much like Evan Turner. Um, But uh, he went in and and it looked to me like literally Gallo just – you know it was I was like, is he having one of those J.R. Smith moments where he doesn't know what the score is or he doesn't know how much time it like what is he doing? You know, so um you know, I mean we can break down that play more, but the, your original question was around kind of how different was this game. um you know it, it's hard to know how his mindset coming into the Boston game affected his shooting. It's possible probably we can only guess at that. But I noticed um, him applying himself to a level in other parts of the game that made me feel like if that's what we saw, then the Casky and Hawks when they came probably. So, did you what did you think it was just the shooting that was mainly different tonight, or did you see something different?
0: I mean, I I, I think that there's, there's some overflow and that the good shooting kind of makes you a little more engaged and a little more uh, voracious on the court, but. You know, I'm still very worried, like, what sort of player is he? I mean, if he's not making shots, he's an inst- he's still sort of an instant liability just because of his defense. Right. Uh, it's, it's hard to find a spot for him defensively because if you put him near the rim, you lose so much in rim protection and rebounding. If you put him out on the perimeter, you lose so much in terms of him being able to stay in front of anybody uh, so I mean, he's a, he's obviously a brilliant offensive player and has been for a very long time. He's been in a prolonged slump of maybe what, three weeks or something. Right. And he's, he's coming back from an injury. Right. And you don't know how much that weighs into it. I think, you know, it's been referred to a couple of times. Lloyd Pierce has said that it was sort of his first ever sort of ankle injury, but you know, I, I still think there's a lot of room for concern there. Uh, Obviously, he's, you know, it's literally night and day uh, in terms of offense and defense, but, um, you know, he needs the shot making to make, even to make the offense work to the degree I think it needs to.
1: Yeah, he he does. Um, And it's not just sort of his defense in the vacuum. Um, I apologize, Kevin, are you hearing that?
0: I th- it does feel like the audio changed a little bit there.
1: I, I, it, I'm hearing a lot of background noise. Hmm. Could be. Sorry about that. I, hope, uh, I know you probably didn't that, but it's gone now. Okay. Um, so, um, But, yeah, it's, and it's. I mean, I think we all knew that he was a challenge to put the player, even when he was coming to the Hawks. For sure. Um, but the thing that really stands out to me is the way that teams have been seeking him out and working very specifically to isolate him and go at him you know that that happened um in the the celtics game you know they were um one of the reasons they were able to get to the rim the the way that they were so easily in addition to what kimba was doing was just them able to kind of get gallo where he was the low man on the weak side in coming to the rim and him just not be able to do anything with you know someone who can jump like robert williams third um and stuff so it you know I mean, uh, you know, Lloyd Pierce goes to a zone, I think, when he can to try to accommodate his minutes, Um, you know. So there are some things that you can do, but there um, are are also just games where you run up against teams that are really, you know, experienced. That have you know a lot of continuity to them. Like the Jazz really sought him out. You know that they put that core groups of playing together for like three or four years now. You know, right. um, and that those, those are the teams I think that can kind of pick on him and isolate him, and, and it is an issue. And I think that there are, you know, say in a play-in game or a playoff context or what have you, there are games where, um, you know, it happened last year with OKC. There were there were a couple games in in their one playoff series with Houston where they had to just pull them off the court. You know because he couldn't um you know hold up to what the way houston was able to kind of kind of pick at him so th- there are concerns about you know feeling like he can play 25 minutes a game a- every game regardless of opponent regardless of game flow i i don't think that's true at all mm-hmm. i think that it's really nice to have his shooting as a pick and pop player and a guy who can kind of create shots on the second unit is really valuable but you know, I think there's some downside to him just being a unquestioned,
0: you know, rotation player. Right and, game in, game out.
1: especially in this kind of season, you know.
0: And they do have a player in Solomon Hill who's kind of an ideal sort of twelfth man power forward sort. That's you know, he's sort of the right change up for okay, if if Gallo's not the right fit for a game and you need somebody who's a little more defensive oriented and a little more mobile, he's kinda of the right The right choice. Uh, But let's go to the end of the Cleveland game because both of those protagonists uh, figured prominently. (laughs) They did. Okay, so... There's sort of four things that irked me about losing on a dunk. One, Lloyd Pierce not having Capella in the game. Yep. I, and I get why you don't put Capella in the game. You you don't want a bad free-throw shooter in the game. Yep. But you have the lead. And you don't have John Collins. And I think I mentioned somewhere earlier, uh, Gallinari had zero rebounds in like 27 minutes in that game. Yep. So even if you force a miss from Cleveland, are you going to get a rebound with no Collins and no Capella? And, you know, Gallinari clawing and doing what he can, but probably gonna be a little overmatched on the glass. I just think that's a situation where you have to have Capella in. I think Bickerstaff did a great job not trying to call timeout and get reorganized because the the Hawks really just had a lineup that wasn't gonna offer any interior protection. Okay, sure. so so that that's one. Then we have Solomon Hill who just kinda decides that it's going to be time to trap. And honestly, (laughs) and this is almost comical. It's, it's kind of bad for him to do that because he's probably the best rim protector on the floor. Yep. Um, and then you have Trey young who claimed that, and I can kind of see it a little bit because if sort of, if you decide that you're just going to kind of man up with the five guys, uh, he, he said that he had a tough time choosing, uh, which of two people to guard on the weak side, and I think he was trying to get a little bit closer to the corner in case the ball went there, and that kind of left him out of position for stopping the drive that uh, Lamar made. Uh, so and then of course, we mentioned Gallinari, he was kind of low man on the weak side, just made no motion to even kind of go towards the dunk uh, Great. so. If you're going to take those four things and kind of uh, rank uh, the most mortal sin from that group, uh, how would you go one to four?
1: Um, I would go with Gallo only, only because he he at least could have fouled the kid. Right. I had to look up his name; it's Lamar Stevens. So um, here we are talking about you know the Greatest NBA moment he may ever have in his career. God, I gotta get his name right. So, uh, I feel bad not, not doing this. I, I looked it up, I, I cheated. Um, so for me, it's it's Gallo just at least not making the kid make two free throws to give his team the lead and uh, you know, pressure. Um, you know, I, that's obviously going to be, I think, harder for a young player to, to convert than an uncontested dog. It's kind of, I feel like I'm being kept it obvious <laughs> there for a second, but um, it, so for me, it was Gallo just watching him and not even taking a step toward him right um like to me like i said it was so bad i, I was wondering if he's having a jr S- smith moment um you i think you know that i'm not i don't feel a need to be as hard on solomon hill as it seems like everybody else is. maybe i'm an outlier there that's okay you know um so i mean i can talk through that um in in a bit um because it seems like that might take a little more time and, and that might distract from me actually answering your question. Um, <laughs> the, so the, the, probably the coaching decision was the second one, um, but I, I have to um, think kind of along with the coach in that situation to try to think, well, what was he thinking? And I'm not saying that this makes the decision the right decision, but I don't know if you remember a, a game last year in Miami. Oh, I remember kind of, it very well. Okay. <laughs> and I think
0: I'm going to push back to what you're about to say.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, in, in that situation, um, he could have called, you know, they were up. He rolled with, he had Benbury in for Trey. Right. And he, he just kept the defensive lineup on the floor with the lead and kind of worked through a, basically a terrible offensive possession. I think Benbury had a bad turnover on the left baseline, if I recall correctly. Um, what was. I think what was the worst—the worst about that—was he had a timeout he could have used to get right. Trey into the game. Um, that was a little different than in this situation where he, I think, he had to know once he sent his group out, he didn't have another timeout. That's that's what's different for me. But all I'm, the the reason I point that out is I think it's it can be human nature to think, okay, last time I made the mistake. Of rolling with the defensive lineup through the offensive possession, when if we had scored, it would have really made it hard on the other team to kind of come back. So, did he overcorrect in this this game? I'm not I'm not saying it defends his choice a hundred percent. I'm just saying it, I think it's kind of in human nature to sometimes overcorrect in the other direction, and that maybe that's an explanation for what happened there. But I'd still put that as the second highest. Uh, you know, Gallo first top issue. Uh, Lloyd's decision, the second top issue. Trey, I understand not wanting to f- create a foul on the perimeter and wanting to force a shot. And Trey couldn't have known how bad right. the help defense was going to be in the paint. Right. but I still think that was third. I put Solomon last. Um, and the reason I put him last is that I think Gallo also screwed up in transition defense. Usually your first big back should account for the front of the rim. And I think Hill thought that Gallo would go to the rim and that he would um, take, um, I can't remember who the shooter was on that side of the court, um, That and Solo thought he would end up on the in, in the left corner right. with Gallo in the paint. Now, you could see Gallo pointed at the paint. You know, I don't know how strongly he communicated. It didn't seem like Solo heard him. But you could see Gallo point at the paint as if to say, Solo, you have the paint. But Solo looked like he didn't hear anything. And then all of a sudden, Solo doesn't have a man. He sees Gallo in the left corner. He sees um, Sexton with the ball, and he sees the clock at what seven six seconds somewhere in that range. And I think he thinks, well, the one thing I can do to,
0: to that's fair, you know, yeah.
1: provide value is to force the ball out of Sexton's hands. And on top of that, if you watch Lloyd Pierce's team play, they double at the it, on the last possession of quarters like all the time. That's 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 something that they do a lot is to to try to kill two for one. Yeah, Lloyd wasn't situation. super forgiving. No, he wasn't. No, he was. He wasn't. And I know fans. I know fans seem to get upset that he doesn't take some accountability. But I I think fans also get upset that he doesn't hold his players accountable. Sometimes, kind of. That's kind of weird. That's a whole different conversation. So for me, it's number one, Gallo. You know, um, being a statue at the rim. Um, The next one was the coaching decision. I, I, you know. Ah, uh, versus the Capella is a completely different <laughs> formula to me. Capella has been little legitimately been one of the best defensive players in the whole league this year. That's the guy. That's a different thing than trying. But to But it's just—it's a
0: different. I, I mean,
1: yeah. So that's my the, order. That that that's that's
0: that exactly. whole situation in Miami was a defense possession followed by an offensive possession. This is an offensive possession followed by a defensive possession. Like it's just—it's just different. Right. Like you he, had you had the lead in both cases, but. The sequencing right. is different, and that 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 makes you know. And not to mention the timeout issue, but you know with those parallel, those two parallel, factors together make it completely different.
1: You know, the, the parallel was against Miami; they had a lead, and he stayed with the defensive lineup and was like, "Okay, I'm just going to have my best defensive lineup on the next possession, whether we're up one points, two points, three points, whatever it is." In this case, he put his best offensive lineup, or what he. I mean, probably wasn't his best offensive lineup, but another reason to kind of criticize him. But what he thought was his best offensive lineup um, for that possession, which is the exact opposite of what he did in in Miami. And I'm only isolated the offensive possession, you know, um, only. Um, and they lost both games. So I, I I feel like he overcorrected from what happened in Miami um, last year. And, um, you know, I know it sounds like I'm defending him, but I still think that's the second worst um, you know, error that, that was made. What what order would you put them in?
0: I'm pretty close. I I would start with Gallinari and then Pierce. I probably put a Hill third just because it's such a chaotic situation that you, you put your team at a huge disadvantage Right. He he didn't leave himself any room to get back in the play at all. Too like even as far as the trap goes, he like felt like he kind of overshot it. Like right. it almost felt like if if they wanted to, they could he could have split that double. That's how far. Like it didn't even seem like it was that good of a double. I, I don't right. know.
1: And 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 Tony Snell did not know he was coming. That, that yeah, was...
0: Tony Snell did. Yeah, and part of the reason it was it, it was that Snell didn't coordinate with him so you, you got to get your teammate with you if you're gonna try something like that i don't know i just, i didn't think that was particularly i i get why people would criticize Trey but i also kind of get what he was saying you know in a in a transition situation i think you're gonna take a couple steps in that direction and i, I felt bad a little bit for trey in the sense that you know if, if you look at the entire 48 hours of basketball uh he was he's been pretty chippy like he he's Yep. He's sticking his nose in a lot of places. He drew like three offensive fouls, at least three offensive fouls last night. Uh, that that being the Cleveland game, right. uh, I I thought he brought, brought the same sort of intensity in terms of just sticking his nose in places where it didn't belong and offense on the offensive glass against Boston. Um, he was just you know just had a high motor for both games, and so people. If all you're going to go off of is Sports Center, and the one thing you saw from the last 48 hours of Hawks basketball was them getting dunked on to lose a game and you see Trey Young kind of out of position, not making any body contact whatsoever, it, it looks bad for Trey, and I don't think it's a fair reflection for, for how well he played in both games really.
1: Yeah, um, I, I agree. What, how, what did you think of his decision making such offensively down the stretch against Cleveland?
0: Uh, I mean, I didn't have any issue with the the, the floater immediately preceding it. Um, right. I mean, I think that's a that's kind of the, the shot that you get at that point. Uh, right. it, it seemed like the best shot available to the whole team there. So I I saw some criticism of that floater, and that just I mean, that's just a. Sh- That's just the shot you get. You're not going to get any closer to the rim against Jared Allen. I mean, Jared Allen got bulldozed by Capella on a number of plays. But in space, as just sort of a vertical defender, he's elite. Like, he's very good at that. And so he, he got a great challenge on it. But Trey just got it up higher and it bounced around and it didn't go in. But I thought it was a perfectly reasonable shot for the situation.
1: Yeah, I, I did too. I mean, some people criticized the fact that he could kick it to, Chris,
0: um, to Tony
1: Snell in the right corner, and you know, that was probably an option. But the reality is is you're running something for Trey to create, whether it's, it's a shot or or if he really collects like two, maybe two and a half defenders, then an obvious kick out. That's what every NBA team runs, or in the, not necessarily that specific set, but that's the situation that every NBA team is trying to get to with their best player. Mm-hmm. Creating in space um, with a you know an advantage on a defender, and if the defense collapses, a decent shooter to kick it to. So I thought the decision making was fine. Um, you know, was could, could they have realized that Cleveland was going to live with this floater? You know, over the last three or four minutes or whatever it was. I mean, sure. But the takeaway for me when I look at sort of the collective results of the last three to four minutes of offense is. I think the Hawks and Trey have to figure out is that floater what they want. You know, is that the shot that they want in high leverage situations and close right. games like that or do they need do they need to try to find a, a way to create a higher percentage shot than that? And, you know, I think where they are right now with Trey in year 3 and trying to build around him, you empower him to go find the shot that he feels good about. I mean, I, so many play, so many players that, that have the role that he has on the Hawks when they go to the timeout and the coach will literally say where do you want the ball that happens like all the time <laughs> right. and you know one one that jumps out to me it was kind of funny because the camera probably shouldn't have caught it but when the Hawks were playing the Timberwolves while Tibbs was there they it was the last possession and the camera caught the Timberwolves huddle and Tibbs had the um, you know the the board where they drop a play and he looked at Jimmy and said where do you want it and Jimmy looked at him and said the nail and this was broadcast on ITV right. you know but that was a glimpse into that happens all the time where do you want it what shot do you want what do you feel good about you know what 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 feels good to the flow that you have going right right now and so I think there I just saw a lot of criticism that suggested they should be running more sophisticated stuff you know and then I reminded people on Twitter I said when Bud was here, they didn't run a, a play for a specific guy. They ran sophisticated stuff. And then they let the defense constantly dictate where the shot was coming from. You know, and that was frustrating in a different way. You know, this is what it like, looks like to have an offensive superstar. The coaching staff, you know, nine times out of ten across the whole league, in that situation, is going to say, what shot do you want? Where do you want it? What do you want to run? And they're going to let the player say, this is what I feel good about. This is a set I feel good about. This is a shot I feel good about. And I just think, you know, Hawks fans maybe they're just out of practice or have not had an offensive player that, you know, earns that type of empowerment a long, long, long time. And it's I think it's just time for all of us to learn. That's how it goes. And that's just my view of view of that.
0: Yeah. I agree. Um You look at I mean I guess part of the problem here is that you've got a superstar who's six foot one, a hundred and I don't know, 75 pounds. And, you know, an NBA defense that knows its stuff and organizes and plans for the last possession of a game, despite how good Trey is at just about literally everything on offense, you can still kind of get him to a point where here's the thing that you can have, Trey it's a floater. And the math on floaters is bad. So the Hawks have to deal with that problem, and I think one of the things that they've done to deal with specifically that problem, late-game offense, teams kind of taking other things off the table and leaving Trey with nothing but a floater. I, I think that's part of the machination behind just how important it is for them to develop DeAndre Hunter's offense, and for I sure. think they have. It's and a great point. You can see it. It's like, okay, you're going to be our, our featured second-side Offensive action, you know, you're going to be at the core of all of it and they've done it plenty in, you know, just regular 48 minutes of basketball situations. But I think you're going to see over time uh, as as more and more of these close game situations develop over Trey's young career, you're going to you're going to see Hunter as the second option if whatever you run as your initial action doesn't work. I think they're going to, they're going to stagger in enough stuff for Hunter to kind of keep defenses honest.
1: Yeah, I I agree. and I I do think that's the future. And, um, you know, I, I, I too feel concerned about trying to build around, you know, one of the smaller, you know, offensive superstars in league just because of how easy it is to take space away from him if that's what the defense prioritizes and then really there's the reason for them to not prioritize that right now. Right. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons I envision Gallo having an important role was Gallo can you know, has the experience and the you know, the savvy um, He's not going to be afraid to kind of be the guy that takes shots. So he's an option there. That happened in the Dallas game and it looked ugly, but that was just one, <laughs> one repetition right. there, you know, that wasn't how that exactly how that was supposed to go. I think he was probably the third option, the way that play was drawn out. You and I talked about that on your on the spot, sure but, uh, just remembered. Um, So, you know, he, for this year, you know, I thought, I think Gallo was a nice bridge. If Hunter has been so good, I think Hunter has exceeded expectations that maybe he's just ready now, but if, if the way that the season went was that he needed more time before he became, you know, one of those, you know, top two options at the very end of games, then Gallo is a nice bridge for that. So I you know, and Bogdanovich loves those moments, he loves those moments too. You know. Mm-hmm. Um my father in law lives in Sacramento, and so I just happen to have seen a lot of games, you know, he he I used to go catch one or two. Whenever I'm, you know, we're down there and things like that. So I've seen a lot of Bogdanovich even live, you know, and he, he loves those moments too. So there, there's a lot more this year than just Trey. It's just that, um, you know, none of them are available <laughs> yeah. right now, and that that's what they had. But I, I think you made a great point about, you know, I think it seems like we agree that the floater can't really be the, you know, be all end all in terms of what they go to as their bread and butter late in games. It's not a Bad kind of secondary, you know, thing to get to if you can't get to the your first very first
0: choice. A a lot of the math on end of game basketball shots is bad, but just in general for floaters, it's not great. Right,
1: but but that's why in the playoffs, like guys who are good in the mid mid range are so valuable. Right, because that's what defenses are willing to often, you know. Give you, you know, with with the choices that they make and things like that. That's why I got Chris Paul has been so valuable in situations like that, you know, in and, and his career. Um, so, um, so, you know, but I mean, Trey's in year three. I, I think it's perfectly reasonable right now for the idea to be what shot do you want, Trey, especially with there being no Hunter, especially with, you know, Gallo wasn't exactly, you know, knocking down shots against Cleveland the way he did against Boston. You know, he's been in a rough stretch. So, I, I agree with you, it was fine, but I, I do think that there's still some things that the team and Trey have to work out in terms of what do they really want those late like, game situations to look like. How do we, how do they play through Trey, allow Trey to be the guy, but create the highest percentage um, shots that they can create in that situation? And I agree with you, the floaters not not where to settle on.
0: Uh, is there anything else you wanted to address before we adjourn?
1: Um, you know, I I think that's it. I wish there were guys coming back from injury soon, but um, you know, I think they it, think we'd all love to see a little more consistency, a little more stability, a little you know, a few more wins. But I feel like sometimes Hawks fans are watching the Hawks and not the rest of the league, and don't know the rest of the league is kind of going <laughs> very similar to the way the Hawks season is. Um, so I, I continue to say I think they're I think they're I think they're fine. I think they're in a decent spot, all things considered, and uh, you know that that doesn't mean they're going to automatically be fine the rest of the way. But I'm I'm still encouraged about the team.
0: Should Trey have been an All Star?
1: Yes. Yeah, I, I I think he deserved it more than Jalen Brown specifically, and Dubusevich uh, made it right.
0: Yeah.
1: But, but yeah, yeah, I think he's more deserving than both of those guys, um, in my opinion. No, Brown's had an awesome. What about guy, Levine? Right? Um. Yeah. You know, I I value Trey's ability to create shots for others. Right. Um, so I put him above Levine as well. It's hard for me. I I feel like I can ding Jalen Brown because he he really is creating just for himself, and sometimes he consumes more of the offense than makes sense for what he can do. Um. Right. I know the box sports You know. So so longer answer the intended, but I thought he should have been in ahead of Brown, ahead of Lucevich for sure. I'd put him in a little ahead of Levine, although I'm not going to be upset about anybody saying Levine was more deserving. I think that's a kind of a reasonable view on Levine, especially if you're a Bulls fan.
0: Okay. Yeah. uh, Ditto. (laughs) There's no need (laughs) for rehashing it. I don't think I'd say a whole lot differently.
1: No, I I think he'll still be there. I think, um, but I think there'll be enough guys that choose to, to not put themselves in the all-star bubble but we'll, we'll we'll see you know
0: is Trey the first alternate
1: I hope so I mean I, part of my statement and I'm he could be like an right.
0: alternate for somebody from the west too because it's remember it's not like east versus west this is right I, you I, know, they, the two captains so far, pick teams they,
1: they they've, they've done that the last few years like when there's been like a you know the last day or two or whatever it is they've gone to the same conference right but I, I it's the thing that so staggeringly different for me was I think it was Al Horford's last All Star game. There was a replacement. He was a replacement. He was swimming like down in Mexico or something, something along those lines. And his phone was going off. Trey's gonna literally be in Atlanta. I would imagine. I think I <laughs> was. Know? I think
0: I was standing right next to Al Horford when he said that. <laughs> Somebody told the story. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think, I, I, think, I, think I was in
0: that scrum. I, I I remember like which corner of the practice gym we were in when he said that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. I am I'm, th- I'm telling your listeners the story I guess not not so much you cuz you were there first hand but no, I that's think it's fair. I think it's kind it's of just a funny. funny. I wouldn't
0: have even remembered it until you said it and i was like, "Oh, yeah, I remember being there."
1: I don't think Trey will be swimming in Mexico. I think he'll be in Atlanta just he'll be ready just in case, you know, that that kind of situation. But I, I he deserves it for in my view for sure. Um so I, I you know, I am not wishing any an injury on anyone, but if someone decides that Attending and participating
0: is not for them.
1: I hope check get this opportunity. All right.
0: Well, uh, thank you, Glenn. We'll have to do this again soon. Always fun, Kevin. Thank you.